0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of Hope Community Church, where we desire to see people transformed by the love of Christ. Join us as we study God's Word together. Talking about faith, by faith. The writer to the Hebrews says that actually there's no way to connect to God except by faith. And it's not your faith that makes a way for you to connect to God, it's God, but it's faith that allows you to do that. Often we have the impression when you're walking in faith that this is what it looks like. It kind of starts here and then it goes like this. and Then it just keeps going. I don't know where we got that idea because it's not in the Bible. So the guy who we're looking at today, Jacob, this is what his faith looked like. (laughs) But he walked in faith. Remember that the people who received this letter to the Hebrews... Chapter 11 is a call for all of us to walk in faith. But it lists a whole bunch of people that have gone before us that walked faithfully. But the people who first read the letter, they didn't need somebody to tell them the story because they knew who these people were. It's the same for you. In my life... When I was younger, there were, there were men and women that I looked to as people who have gone before that have walked in faith. One of the guys, his name was L.L. L. King. He was actually the president of our, our denomination for a number of years. He was literally a world statesman in, in mission. He was a man of unbelievable faith and just a really incredible guy. When I was in seminary, I, I got to go to the same church with him. Turns out, sometimes, he was grumpy. (laughs) He didn't always agreeable to be around. All people of faith are like that. There's none who just got this. All of us are in this process of faith. Well, that's the story of Jacob. Jacob's story is about a blessing about a blessing that God promised that was being researched. It was about a blessing that was spoken. A spoken blessing is actually a mysterious thing. In her Pulitzer Prize-winning novel, Gilead, Marilyn Robinson uh, tells the story through the voice of a narrator who is an elderly pastor named John Ames. John Ames is a pastor in a small town in Iowa called Gilead. His best friend's name is Bouton. Boughton also lives in that small town, and he's also a pastor. The two of them are friends, so much so that when Bouton has a son, he names him after his son John. His name is now John Ames Boughton. But the boy grows up to be quite a disappointment, a scoundrel in many ways. That obviously is a problem for John Ames. It's difficult when the person who's bearing your name Keeps ruining it. So, a certain point in the story, the boy is now grown. He comes home to Gilead to visit his dying father. But the visit goes really bad. And so long before he was planning to leave, he decides to leave and goes to the bus station. And there he's met by Pastor John Ames. John Ames gives him a little money and then sits with him to wait for the bus. Listen to the narrator, John Ames, as he tells about the encounter. This is what he says. Then I said, Young man, the thing I would like actually is to bless you. The boy shrugged. What would that involve? Well, said John, as I see it, it would involve my placing my hand on your brow and asking the protection of God for you. But, I mean, if that would be embarrassing, I know there's a lot of, no, 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 said the boy, that doesn't matter. And he took off his hat and he set it on his knee and he closed his eyes and he lowered his head. He almost rested it against my hand and I did bless him to the limit of my powers, whatever they may be. Repeating the benediction from the book of Numbers. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Well, nothing could be more beautiful than that blessing or express more profoundly my feelings. But when the young boy didn't open his eyes, I said, Lord, bless John Ames Boughton, this beloved son and brother and husband and father. And then the boy sat back and he looked up as if he was waking from a dream. Thank you, Reverend, he said. And his tone made me think that to him it might have seemed that I had named everything that I thought that he no longer was. But that was absolutely the contrary of my meaning. I told him it was an honor to bless him. And that was absolutely true. In fact, I'd have gone through seminary and ordination and all the years intervening for that one moment. The young man just studied me in the way that he has. And then the bus came. I said, son, we all love you. You know that. He laughed and he smiled and he said, you guys are all saints. He stopped in the door and he lifted his hat. And then he was gone. God bless that boy. the question that is left hanging in the air is, did the young man receive the blessing? Did did all those words actually land? It's an important question because that is the life of Jacob. It's a picture of this God who ceaselessly blesses. But you can only receive the blessing if you trust it. To walk in the blessing of God, you have to trust the ways of God. So, let's, let's jump into the story of Jacob. Where we're going to end today is a wrestling match. happened by the Jabbok River. There's two contestants in the match. One was Jacob, one was God. Jacob finds himself in a wrestling match with God, and it ends with him saying to God, I will not let you go until you bless me. Strange. That was what Jacob was striving for all his life. Since his birth. But instead of receiving God's blessing, he had actually stolen it from his brother. And since then, his life had been chaos. There was nothing that Jacob wanted more than to be blessed by God. In fact, all of his striving and conniving was to receive that blessing. It's what drove everything he did in his life. It's the blessing that God had given to his grandfather, Abraham, and to his father, Isaac, and now it was his to receive. But he spent his life striving for it, and never until the end actually grab and hold. So, let me go back in the story all the way to the beginning. Let me take you back to Genesis chapter 1. This is what it says. It says that God created the heavens and the earth, and he created all of the things that we see. And then it says at the end of the... towards verse 27, it says that at the end, on the last day he created man and woman in his own image. This is how it says it, chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male, female, he created them. And then it says this, God blessed them. What was that for? Weren't they already blessed? They had a beautiful garden to live in. What was the blessing? The blessing was God. He he prepared a place for them. But the the blessing was him. He he was with them. He would come and commune with them. Genesis chapter 1. God created because he wanted something and someone to bless. If you read the Old Testament, over 400 times you find the word bless or the word blessing. God can't help himself. That's who he is. And the story that we're looking at, God promised a particular blessing to Abraham and to his family. He always blesses, and his blessing, blessing is always given in the intent of ble- that blessing being extended to others. But that blessing can only be received by faith. Jacob is a story of a man who longed for that blessing, but he tried to get it by force, and you can only get it by faith. It took him a lifetime, but he finally embraced the blessing. And in chapter 11 of of Hebrews, talking about the faith of this man, just one short verse, and this is what it says. By an act of faith, Jacob... On his deathbed, blessed each of Joseph's sons in turn, blessing them with God's blessing, not his own, as he bowed worshipfully on his staff. Hmm. What's the last phrase about? Like, Why did he have to say that? Why couldn't he just say, he blessed them? as he bowed worshipfully on his walker. It's important. Because Jacob walked the whole end of his life with a limp. That's why he was leaning on a staff. And the limp came from God. And it was actually the vehicle of God to finally turn his faith fully towards him. So, let's look at the faith of this man. First, the focus of Jacob's faith. In chapter 28, what is Jacob after? He's after God's blessing. You remember, the blessing had been given to Abraham, was passed on to his son Isaac. Isaac has two sons, twins Esau and Jacob. Their whole life is a fight for the blessing. Unfortunately, the parents contributed to the chaos. One favored Esau, one favored uh, Jacob. So in the end, the father Isaac, sorry, that was in French, Isaac was going to bless his son Esau. But he can't see. And so Jacob and his mother trick him and, and Jacob steals the blessing. That was what his whole life was about. What what was his blessing that he was so longing for? Well, this is the blessing that God gave to Abraham. What did he promise to Abraham? There's three things. The first thing he promised to Abraham was a place. I am going to give you a place, a land. And the land is for you and for your family to dwell with me. That was the first promise. The second promise was rest. That I am going to give you rest. What was the promised land for? It wasn't so they would have a place to live. It was so they could rest and know God. There would be a place where they could connect with God. The third thing he promised to Abraham was posterity, meaning that I am going to bless you, and I am going to bless your children, and I am going to bless them and make them a nation, and I'm going to bless all the nations of the world through you. That's unbelievable. If I'm standing here today talking about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, it's not because of them. It's because God made a promise to them, and he kept it. So those are the three things he promised, and that was a promise that Jacob had his heart Set Esau, after this whole event, decides he's going to kill Jacob. Things are not going well in the family. So the mother hears about it, comes up with a scheme to convince the dad, hey, we need to send him home back to our families for him to find a wife. She didn't want her son to leave. She just knew that if she didn't, he was going to get killed. So Jacob is actually kind of this homebody, and now his parents are sending him to this place he's never been before. He doesn't know anybody, and he's supposed to go and meet his family and find a wife. So uh, he sets out on this journey. Verse 10 of chapter 28, this is what it says. Jacob left Beersheba, and he set out for Haran. Haran was the place that his mother Rebecca was from, where their family was from. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he laid down to sleep. He had a dream. In the dream, he saw a stairway. It was resting on the earth with its top reaching all the way to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. will be blessed through you and through your offspring. I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob woke up from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't aware of it. He was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? It's like none other. It is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Was that place actually really what he thought it was? No. God just actually helped him to see what was everywhere. That that God's regard is on us. And that The stairway is just what connects heaven and earth. And that there's angels going back and forth. That God is is with us. That's what he was saying to Jacob. But Jacob finally sat down long enough to be able to hear. At the top of the ladder, at the top of the stairway is God. And he's, he's making a promise. You remember when Jesus talked about this stairway? The stairway actually became Jesus. He is the stairway that connects us to God. But Jacob sees this and he hears the promise and and he makes an altar in that place as a reminder. The focus of his faith was the blessing. God comes to him and he reminds him of what the promise was and that he's going to keep it. So you would think, okay, He's got it now. He can just relax. But he doesn't. He keeps running after it and trying to grab it. So the next picture you see in the narrative is a floundering faith. He's pointed at the right thing. He just can't seem to rest it. Chapter 29 and 30. The problem with God's blessing in our life is not that we don't want it or that God doesn't want to give it to us. The problem is we don't realize what is required to receive it. So the way Jacob tries to get God's blessing all his life is the way of heel grabbing. That's what his name meant. It's this picture of striving. And, and so his idea, his theory was to get God's blessing, you got to get out ahead of everyone else. The blessing goes to the winner. You know how much blessing God has? Anybody got an idea? Endless. Doesn't matter how much he blesses you. It doesn't ever make a shortage. Sometimes we laugh. Ellen and I were praying about something and you're almost coming to God and you're like, he's just been so faithful to us. Do we have the right to ask again? how ridiculous God's not sitting there with a calculator "Mm, boy, it's already November and you're like whoa it just never ceases Jacob is trying to win it he believed in God but he always had trouble trusting it so here's what happened he goes on this journey, he gets to Haran the first place he gets to is a well. the story sound unfamiliar at all? This is the same thing that happened when the servant of Abraham went to find a wife and his family. He sends a servant. Where does he land? At a well. Is it the same well? Well, the story doesn't tell us. So he gets to the well. There's a bunch of men there with sheep. So he tells them, my name is Jacob. I'm from this family. I'm looking for the family of Nahor, the family of Laban. And they said, amazing. That's his daughter coming right now. And he looks up and he sees the daughter, Rachel. And his heart is stricken. Oh, my goodness. My day just got better. <laughs> this, this is why I came. And so, as any gallant young man would do, he got water for all her sheep and helped her. And then she takes him back to the house. And he meets Laban. Laban initially is just so warm and so happy to have him there and then the story says about a month in he takes Jacob aside and he says, Jacob, it's true that you're my relative but I don't want to take advantage of you which was a lie he did want to take advantage of him but he was a con man so he said, let's work out a deal so that you know, I'm reimbursing you for what you're doing so Jacob says, great what I would like is your daughter Rachel Oh, he says, you can, you can have my daughter in marriage. Seven years. If you'll work for seven years. And this is what Laban said. My daughter, it's, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. You notice how he didn't mention the name of the daughter? He just said the daughter. So, seven years he works, Jacob. And it says in the narrative that The seven years just went flying by like they were a day. I mean, this guy is in love. He just can't. Seven years, nothing. Boom. He gets to the end. Laban calls the family, friends, puts up a tent. It's wedding day. And everybody comes. And they eat. And they drink. And they spend the whole day celebrating. Now nighttime comes and there's a wedding tent. So he sends Jacob into the wedding tent to take his bride, his daughter. So... He goes in, consummates the marriage, and then it says that he woke up the next morning and he looked over. And it wasn't Rachel. It was the older sister, Leah. He had just been deceived. So he goes out and he finds Laban and he says, how could you deceive me? Laban said, I didn't deceive you. I mean, anybody knows that the customs here, you never marry the younger daughter until the older daughter's married. You hear what he's saying? Remember what Jacob had just done a few years earlier? He had taken the blessing of the older son and stolen it. So Laban, being the good guy that he was, said, let's, let's make another contract. I'll give you Rachel too, and... So they did the whole week of ceremonies and then he took Rachel and then he committed to seven more years. So, now you have this happy family. (laughs) If you read the Old Testament, the Bible's pretty clear about about what marriage is supposed to look like. This is the way God created. But in the Old Testament, it, it, it doesn't look like that very often. In fact, there's a lot of polygamy. The Bible is not saying, Here, here's a model for you. It's actually saying, watch how well this turns out. So, it's really important having children, having sons to pass on the heritage. Leah has a son. She is sure now Leah was the older sister. Rachel was the loved wife. That's what life looked like in their house. Leah has a son, and she is sure that now the heart of her husband is going to turn towards her. It doesn't. So she has another son, and she is sure it's gonna, it doesn't. A third son and a fourth son. This causes even more pain. Because Rachel can't have any children. And so there's this jealousy. And I mean, these are sisters. It's just ugly. So Rachel decides to do what Abraham's wife Sarah did. I can't have children, so I'm going to give you my maidservant. You take her as a wife, and she'll have children in my name. And so she does. Two more sons are born. Leah looks at the picture and goes, wait a minute. I'm losing ground. So she gives her maidservant to Jacob. Now there's four of them. And there's more sons. You just get in a picture what a happy place this is to live. (laughs) What is he doing? He's trying to, to create the promise of God. And it's a disaster. Life and that house had a lot of pain. Also had a lot of disappointment. There is time in our faith when God allows disappointment to enter into the story. One of the verses, uh, verse 25 of chapter 29, is one of the saddest verses in the Old Testament. Jacob, this guy who has to leave his home, for seven years he works. It feels like finally something's going to go right. And he wakes up in verse 25. It says, when morning came, there was Leah. Imagine his disappointment. Imagine her disappointment. It's interesting that God allows Jacob to be deceived. It's hard when you read it. You go, Laban, that scumbag. Would God allow Jacob to be deceived? Sometimes the only way that you see your own soul is when you look at it in somebody else. And God was giving him a really clear picture of what it looked like. But he wasn't done with Jacob yet. The next step, the next movement in the story is like the freeing of Jacob's faith. So Jacob has all these wives. Rachel finally has a son, Joseph. Now there's 11 of them. I mean, the sheep, they're growing the cattle. God is blessing him, and through him, blessing Laban. This goes on for a number of years. But it's basically the story of two con men trying to get each other. So this one paints the sheep this color, and then he does this, and it's just his back and forth. And finally, Jacob says to himself, he remembers the promise of God that I will take you back to that land, and that land will be given to you and your family. That land is where his mother was. That land was his home. And so In his heart, one day, he gets his wives and his children and he says, we're heading back home. And so they do it without Laban being aware of it and they try to sneak out of town and they're they're heading home. So now he has all his wives, all his children, all their baggage, all their cattle, and they're heading on this long journey to go back to where he came from. There's only one obstacle. His brother. Remember, his brother wanted to kill him, and his brother was a good killer. He was good at that kind of stuff. So he knows he's going home, but he also knows he's going to see his brother, and he has no idea. He's had no emails, nothing. He has no idea how things are going back home. So he, he, he got he's just scheming this whole plan. He sends out groups, A day at a time. He sends him to go see Esau and take this gift and then take cattle and then do this. Hoping that each day Esau's heart will get a little softer and a little softer until he finally gets there. Maybe he'll just cut his feet off and not kill him. That was the plan. It's fearful. A couple days in, one of the teams comes back. Good news! I saw Esau! Bad news! He's got 400 guys with him. (laughs) Now Jacob's concern turns to fear. He has no idea. What he knows is he can't do anything. What he doesn't know is what's on his brother's heart. That's where the story picks up. Jacob sent part of his family this way, another part this way, so that he would do up the, the middle run, and if he got, at least some of the people would hopefully escape. But he finds himself alone that night by the Jabbok River. This is what it says, verse 24. Jacob was left alone. A man came in the night and wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he couldn't overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go. It's daybreak. Jacob replied, no, no, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. What a crazy turn in the story. Sleeping, and all of a sudden he finds himself in a wrestling match. I don't think at the beginning he knew who he was wrestling with. It was nighttime he didn't know if it was somebody his brother sent. He didn't know if it, he didn't know who it was. And then somewhere in the night, he figures out it's God. And they have this wrestling match. And you go, why would God have a wrestling match with somebody? It wasn't to win. Like, if God wanted to win the thing... Be about a two second battle. Both hips, (laughs) done. God didn't come to wrestle with Jacob to win. He did come to win his heart. All Jacob's life, he had been striving and grasping and cheating and deceiving, longing for the blessing of God. Now he realizes God has come to wrestle with him. That's what they're wrestling about. The only way to receive the blessing of God is to submit. That's what he could never do. And God in his kindness came and gave him another shot. The things that are said in the narrative are to give you hints. The stranger says, I gotta leave, it's daybreak. What, got tired? Like, got no more rounds in him like what happened no at daybreak he's going to see God and he's not going to see God and live it's time to leave strangely now Jacob grabs hold of God and he clings to him and he says I am not going to let you leave until you bless me That's what he's been longing for all his life. And God has blessed him over and over and over, but he'll never receive it. So it says in the story that God says to him, what's your name? Wait a minute. You've been wrestling with me all night and you don't even know who I am? No, he knew who he was. Jacob didn't know who he was. In fact, the last time that Jacob stole a blessing, he did it in somebody else's name. When his father said, what's your name? He said, my name is Esau. God asked him, what's your name? And he says, my name is Jacob. You know what Jacob means? It means a heel grabber, a deceiver. It's painful to say it out loud. What's your name? My name is Conniver. That's who I am. And God says, I know who you are. And I'm going to give you a new name. Isn't that beautiful? In the poignant moment, God finally wrestles out of Jacob his unwillingness to submit. The story ends with the faithfulness of God. It's actually the story of all of us. I think if you look close enough, you can find yourself somewhere in this story. Lots of us struggle in our faith with this. What do I got to do? What do I got to earn? We strive and nothing. You just have to receive it. God was faithful to Leah. And the story, her story is heartbreaking. The narrative makes it very clear that when she had a son, she was sure that that would make her lovable. It didn't. So she had a second son. This time she was sure it didn't. The third time. But when the fourth son was born, there's like this clear turn in the story. She stopped, she looks to her, she stopped looking to her husband and instead turns her sight towards God. And she says, this time I will praise the Lord. And she named the son Judah. The bearer of the blessing of God fell on her son Judah. Leah became the great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of the Messiah. The one who never felt loved became the great-grandmother of the one who came to show us one time for all the unfailing love of our Heavenly Father. Rachel. Rachel was a little bit of a scoundrel in the story. She wasn't always a fun person to live with. The story says that she was really beautiful, like elegance or beauty or whatever it was. It was a gift from God. And every blessing, every gift from God is given to us to be a blessing to other people. She used it to be a jerk and caused a lot of pain. And lived a lot of pain. But in the end she cries out to God. And God hears her prayer. And she has a son. The son's name is Joseph. And Joseph was the one who actually ends up saving the whole family. And keeps the line alive. God was faithful to Jacob. He gives Jacob... A new name. He gives them the name Israel. You know what that name means? Struggle. I'm not sure if it means struggling with God or God's struggle. It doesn't really matter. That's what it means. It's a struggle. That was Israel's name. And we're a few thousand years later. It's still Israel's name. It's just the struggle. But it's beautiful that the God of the universe would come to struggle with us, to win us. So, what did God promise to Abraham? He promised him a place. It wasn't really about a physical place, even though it was a physical place. It was about a place where God could come and live and be present. It was in that place, in Bethlehem, in Judah that the Messiah came. He promised Abraham that there would be rest. Jesus said, if you're weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. he's, He's come and he's made a way for us to be connected to our Heavenly Father. The third thing he promised Abraham was posterity. That that he would bless Abraham and through him his son and through him all the way to the Messiah. And that his family would bless all the nations. He did it. We're standing here talking about it today. Why? Because God made a promise to him and he kept it. All those promises, the blessing of God was fulfilled. But it's not done yet. All of those people believed, even though they never saw that, they believed that it would happen, and it did. Those same things are the same promises that God gives to us through his son, Jesus. He promises us a place. He said to his friends, if I'm leaving you, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you can be with me. It talks about it a little bit. He talks about preparing houses. Are there houses where God is? I have no idea. But that's what we understand, so that's how he explained it. That's not what's cool, where he lives. What's really amazing is that he lives there. And he's inviting us to live there with him. He's also promised rest. That when we get to, to heaven with him, There will not be any... He's not talking about sleep. We're not going to hang out with him and sleep. But we're not going to have to strive anymore. We're not going to have to compete with anybody. We're not going to have to fight. We're not going to have to connive. We're going to rest. And he also promised to us meaning. You want your life to have meaning? Take what God's given you by faith, and he will multiply it to be a blessing to many others. And he says, on that day when you stand there, all of those things will be shouted out loud. You know what? You can't see any of that that I just said. The only way you can receive it is by faith. By faith, Jacob, while he was leaning on his staff, blessed his children, not with his blessing, but with that of God. Let me pray for us, and we're going to close this morning around this table that reminds us that God's promises are signed by his life and his blood. Jesus, thanks that all your promises are yes and amen. Some of us may be in a place this morning of of discouragement or disappointment or just challenge in our faith where we're just struggling to believe or struggling to to believe that we don't have to win something. Would you just allow us in these moments to know your rest? That when you breathed your last, you cried out, it's finished. All of that is done. So as we gather around this table, would you be here with us? Remind us of the deep love of our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that God will use this message to draw you deeper into a meaningful relationship with Him. Hope Community Church is located in Olmstead Falls, Ohio. If you would like to find out more about our church, please visit us at hopeolmstead.org.